You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. In a galaxy far, far away. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. An adventure unlike anything on your planet. An epic of heroes and villains. The story of a boy, a girl, and a galaxy. The Force will be with you, always. Star Wars, the saga begins. The adventure continues in The Empire Strikes Back. Vader wants us all dead. He doesn't want you at all. He's after somebody called a Skywalker. A saga of rebellion and romance. I hope you know what you're doing. An epic of alien worlds and the climactic clash between good and evil. The Empire strikes back. The battle for freedom rages on in Return of the Jedi. The cunning of the enemy. Soon the rebellion will be crashed and young Skywalker will be one of us. The courage of a rebel. Is Darth Vader my father? The power of evil. Return of the Jedi. The complete Star Wars trilogy is now in our galaxy. everybody and welcome once again to Geek Fest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone and today we are going to go over an event that took place many years ago which could be considered to be the beginning or the start of Star Wars conventions, official Star Wars conventions. Nowadays we have celebration. Well, back in 1987 we had the Starlog and Creation Conventions Salute to Star Wars 10th Anniversary. That's a convention I went to a very long time ago in Los Angeles. And I wanted to kind of share that with you because I know through the years I kind of talked about it in little bits and pieces, but I wanted to kind of put it all together into one complete show. So let's get started. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on-the-spot task force. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Thank you, Bob. It's Mort. Mort, yes. I am Ted Baxter, and here is the news. Back in the mid-80s, when I was... A huge Starlog fan. Again, if you guys don't remember Starlog, that's okay. Starlog's been gone for a while. Before the internet, the only way to get information having to do with sci-fi, horror, fantasy was through a magazine like Starlog magazine. There were a few other magazines, but Starlog, as far as I'm concerned, was the premiere of of that genre material. There were Conventions back then, of course, um, but I wasn't yet kind of tapped into that scene. This is the event that I'm going to talk about today that what actually got me into conventions is one specific one that kind of got the ball rolling on a lot of things, uh, including the convention circuit, as far as I'm concerned, in my particular experience. So sometime, I don't know, 35, 34 years ago... 
1986 or 1987. I don't know how early they started advertising, but Starlog started to promote a convention they were going to host partnered with Creation Conventions. Now, Creation Conventions still exist. I think they mainly do like supernatural-related conventions nowadays, and I think they, they might do some Star Trek stuff too. But back then, they were a different entity, and... You know, Star Wars was, I can't really tell you that Star Wars was a hot commodity because you got to remember where Star Wars was at this time. 1987 was the 10th anniversary of Star Wars, and they planned on doing a convention to celebrate Star Wars 10th anniversary. Great. You know, that's a great idea. I personally had never seen this before. I had never seen a convention advertisement that was exclusively Star Wars. They might have had some conventions where a Star Wars person might be there, you know, on top of, you know, five, six, seven other non-Star Wars people. But this was Star Wars only, which was a fantastic idea for me, at least, you know, to be able to experience. This convention was scheduled for the weekend of May 23rd, 24th, and 25th, which was Memorial Day weekend, Saturday, Sunday, and a Monday. Star Wars at this time was in its dark period. (laughs) The last film had come out in 83. The last wave of action figures came out in 85. And now we're in this in-between period. A lot of times referred to it as the dark times. (laughs) Because... We're in between Star Wars projects. I would say not until another five years later will the spark uh, hit Lucas again to get back on the horse. Uh, I would say right around the time of Jurassic Park, maybe 1992, 93, where he decided that technology had gotten to a point now where he would want to get involved again with Star Wars, specifically the CGI explosion that took place around the time of um, Jurassic Park and uh, The Abyss and Terminator 2, all these movies that had come out uh, that had started to kind of push the technology forward enough for him to feel that he wanted to dip back in. And the way that he dipped back in was when he started with the special editions. This wouldn't be for another, I don't know, about almost 10 years later. So it would be around 1996, 97, something like that. But even before that, when he had made up his mind that he was going to start pushing forward, there were certain events that were happening that kind of triggered a, "Uh uh-oh, Lucas is up to something. In 1995, I believe, the Star Wars toy line started up again. The action figures started coming out again under the Kenner banner, which turned into Hasbro. But you kind of got to see these markers. It's like, okay, it's the 90s. He's revving up again. But in 1987, we were not there whatsoever at all. In 1987 or 1986, the prep time, because you got to remember, these conventions take time to prepare. And something as big as this, I assume, would have taken quite a bit of time, at least a year to put together. So 1986, again, Lucas is now in Lucas' world in terms of Star Wars is on the shelf. Indiana Jones is still, you know, there's still another Indiana Jones film in the works, but he's doing a lot of producing and side projects. He's got Willow. He's got um, Howard the Duck. (laughs) He's got uh, Tucker, you know, with, with Coppola. You know, he's got all these little side projects going on that are kind of keeping Lucasfilm, you know, busy, ILM specifically, super busy. But he himself is not really in full retirement mode, which I don't know if that is exactly what he claimed to be at the time, but he always claims to want to do his own experimental films that never really happened. Uh, I don't even think he's doing experimental films right now, even though he is retired. You know, I know he's working on that that museum, uh, I think in Los Angeles or Chicago, I don't even know anymore where he's at with that. But again, the year is 1986, let's say, or early 87, something like that. And there's this ad in Starlog magazine about the Creation Convention presents Starlog Salute Star Wars 10th Anniversary Convention. 
Like, wow. And the, the ad itself was, was pretty, uh, pretty big. They had apparently already uh, locked up a number of guests that were, I guess you could call them the second tier Star Wars guests. It wasn't Luke, Han, or Leia, but it was everybody after Luke, Han, or Leia. So you had Peter Mayhew, you had Billy D. Williams, Anthony Daniels. You know, there was quite a bit of things there. There was also going to be panels on special effects, a whole panel on Star Tours, because I believe a year earlier, Star Tours had opened in California. So that was another one of these different things that was going to happen. They were going to show the three films in 35 millimeter. There was going to be sneak previews of coming attractions of Lucasfilm projects, costume gala, space update, you know, what's going on with the space shuttle, auctions, door prices, the dealer room, which is my favorite part of conventions, the dealer room, exhibits that were going to bring in stuff from Lucasfilm archives to display. There was going to be some entertainment, a comic, Rick Overton, which pretty well-known comic back then, he was going to be there. Trivia games, freebies, you know, all these types of things that you normally would see at a convention. Plus, the publisher of Starlog Magazine was there to kind of host and, and oversee the whole thing, uh, Carrie O'Quinn. The tickets, wow, talk about a long time ago, back then were $15 in advance per person, per day. Wow. Or you can have the entire weekend for $40, an advanced sale. Nowadays, something like this would cost you... At uh, about $400, I would say. <laughs> a three-day ticket to a convention of this magnitude. Oh, and I forgot to mention, the guest of honor was George Lucas. So, all of a sudden, this kind of goes from being a B-tier to an A-plus tier. In other words, they got the A-plus, they don't have the A, and then they go the B. <laughs> so, it was it's interesting. Now, you got to remember also that this time... The top tier Star Wars people, the the the, the Mark Hamels and the, the Harrison, forget Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford just wouldn't do anything back then. He just would not step into a convention back then. But Mark Hamill and, and Carrie Fisher, they were a little more discreet in how much they would expose themselves to conventions. Nowadays, even before her passing, she was a pretty current convention goer in terms of uh, signing autographs. Same thing with Mark Hamill. He you know, you know, shows up to big conventions, you know, every now and then. Uh, but back then, it just didn't happen. You didn't get that tier of Star Wars celebrity. You you know, the fact that these other people were going to show up, you're like, whoa, this is really interesting now. So, I'm not exactly sure how, because again, I am what? I'm 16, 17 years old at this time. I am in high school? Yeah, I'm in high school. Wow, I'm in high school. I'm at Monsignor McClancy High School in East Elmhurst, living in Maspeth, probably. Wow, that was a long time ago. So, I'm not a very outgoing person. I have no idea how on earth did it get into my head. Because I forgot to mention this. This is taking place in Los Angeles. That's like the other side of the world as far as I'm concerned. So, I don't know how on earth I was able to convince my mom at the time... To take me. Obviously, my dad worked. We all, everybody worked, but my mom, and it was only for a weekend. You know, you got to keep in mind it's a Memorial Day weekend, so it would technically I wouldn't be out of school. I honestly don't remember if I got there the day before and if we left the day after. I don't remember. I honestly cannot remember, and it's impossible. If you think, if I think about it, I must have stayed there at least a week because I I know there were other things that we did on other days. So we were probably there for maybe at least five days, five or six days. Again, it was much easier to get my mom to go than my dad was impossible. He would, you know, he worked, he worked full time at the time and there was no way I was going to get my dad to go, but I was able to take off some time from school. It was a holiday weekend. So I guess I was able to just, you know, take advantage of one day and then add a couple of days here or there or whatever. And we booked it. We booked the trip. We went out there. It was just, it was just nuts. Now, at the time, my mom my mom was a manicurist, and she had a lot of clients. And some clients had connections in many different industries. And one particular client that she had, I don't remember the client's name, but the important thing was that this person was connected to the Sagan family. 
I think Nick Sagan, probably the son of Carl Sagan. They were connected to Paramount Studios. There was a connection to Paramount Studios through that connection. There was a connection through somebody who worked at the up and coming Star Trek Next Generation show. That's a whole other story that we'll mention uh, also as part of this. So this trip was going to be a convention for a couple of days, and we were going to go tour some possible studios at some other point. So there was a lot of interesting little side trips that we were going to take associated with this trip. Now, this first convention, it's hard to really categorize it because, you know, nowadays we have celebrations. Uh, Now, granted, we just skipped one because of COVID and it's being rescheduled in Anaheim once again. And at one point, it was Celebration 1, Celebration 2, Celebration... Then at a certain point, they kind of just made it... They skipped the numbers altogether, and they just named it for the city they were in. So, for example, the city or, or, or the country that they were in. So, for, for example, you have uh, Celebration Orlando. You have Celebration um, England or London or whatever city they happen to be in. Because they have been kind of alternating more or less, you know, maybe once or twice in the States and then once in Europe or somewhere else. So they kind of spread it around. I'm not sure again, you know, where we're at to now because because of the fact that we are delayed and next year's 22 celebration is at Anaheim because of the fact that they were supposed to be there last year and they weren't. That's how they're making it up. So I have no idea what the plans are for what comes next. There hasn't been one in Orlando in a while. I, I actually attended one while I was well, I was already moved to Orlando. I've been to all three Orlando ones. So I'm not sure when, but I technically they are due another return to Orlando at some point. But this is even before that. In other words, Lucasfilm wasn't even running this. Lucasfilm was a partner, more or less. It was all about Lucas, obviously. It was all about Star Wars. But they did not have the control of the convention back then that they do now. Now through, I think it's Reed Pop, who is the, the organizer, but it is a Lucasfilm event. They tell you everything of who comes, who goes, who's allowed, who's not allowed, what they're doing. You know, Lucasfilm is all over. And now, forget it, but with Disney on top of that, it's a monster. But back then, it was kind of like Lucas partnering or agreeing to partner into something that they really normally don't do. This wasn't part of their business model, obviously. So that is what was in store for us. And it's almost like a, you know, sometimes it's, it's almost like the prequel to Celebration because this was something that doesn't really count as a celebration, but it's there. It's something of a trivia, of a little side note, of a, oh, but wait a minute, there actually was a full-blown Star Wars convention that Star Wars personalities and, out of all people in the world, George Lucas, directly participated because he was the main event, basically, at that convention. I, unfortunately, don't have an actual schedule of what the events were in what order? I, I'd never kept that. I did keep a souvenir magazine, you know, a, like a program, a program. The program didn't include a schedule, obviously. And that's something that pops up every now and then on eBay. You could find it. I still have mine, and I had it actually autographed by Carrie O'Quinn, the, the publisher of, uh, of Starlog. But I don't remember exactly, you know, what events were when and all that sort of thing. The big, big event, which was probably, I imagine, on Saturday, because usually on Saturday is when they do the big events. Now, granted, this convention went from Saturday to Monday, and normally they go from, like, Friday to Sunday. Sunday is usually the closing date. But this was a whole other world back then. It was done differently. So I would imagine Saturday or Sunday would have been the big event day. And that is the event where they had Lucas show up. That was something. That was my only time that I actually got to see Lucas in person. Uh, They did this whole presentation, this whole, I think they even cut a cake and it was an anniversary year. So it was a 10th anniversary of Star Wars and they had guests, surprise guests come out and, you know, wish Star Wars through Lucas a happy birthday. This is the convention where I actually got to see Charles Lippincott in person. And at the time I had no clue who Charles Lippincott was. Little did I know (laughs) 20 years, 30 years later that I had actually seen this man in person once. This is the convention where 
Gene Roddenberry shows up and shakes Lucas's hand to wish him a happy anniversary. You know, those are two huge, you know, sci-fi fantasy creators for the first time, you know, shaking hands in public. Very iconic picture that came from there. But what I do remember is little bits and pieces of all these different connected events in the convention. I remember there was a, an area where they had this gigantic, kind of like a birthday card that had C-3PO and R2-D2 on one side and a blank sheet on the other side. And everybody was writing messages. Everybody was writing, you know, congratulation messages. And that was going to be presented to Lucas. Eventually, that ended up in, in Lucasfilm, that gigantic card with everybody's messages. And I believe... It actually might be sitting at Sansweet's Rancho Obi-Wan at this point, because I remember it made it to one of his uh, uh, one of his books. And I was actually able, through the reproduction they printed on his book, it was a huge reproduction, I was able to get a, and it's, it, it blew my mind. I had a magnifying glass, and I'm going through it, and I actually found my writing on that gigantic card of hundreds of possibly thousands of signatures and I actually found my message. I couldn't believe it. I was like, holy crap, my name, you know, something I wrote is actually in a book, <laughs> in a picture of a book. It was just insane. It was just crazy. So many years later. At this convention, uh, like I said, they did have a lot of like slideshow presentations of behind the scenes, especially special effects people. That was my big thing back then. I was trying to get as many special effects people as possible to figure out what they do and how they do it and all that stuff. I was able to to go through a couple of those panels, a couple of those panels. They also had a, a room with a lot of props. These are direct props from ILM. They had a C-3PO. They had an R2-D2. They had a Rancor, a whole bunch of masks from the first trilogy obviously the only trilogy they also had they brought some indie stuff they had the uh, the ark of the covenant they had uh let me think uh, a y-wing they had a one of the bikes from uh, jedi uh, and you can go and you know take pictures of a lot of that stuff again some of the other unannounced guests that were floating around gary kurtz Irvin kirshner most of the actors had their own panels i don't know i don't remember if i attended any of those panels I did take a lot of pictures of them doing their signatures and that sort of thing, you know, their autograph lines. And you got to remember, this is a different period in convention history. You paid your ticket up front to go to the convention, and then autographs were free. You just got on the line, and then you are there waiting for your autograph. A lot of people, unfortunately, and this still happens now, they completely miss the panel of the celebrity. And they go and line up for their autograph instead. So you have to pick. What do you want to do? You want to listen to the panel or do you want to line up for an autograph? So there was that that sort of thing always taking place. Another thing that I did was I brought with me, I had this gigantic, and I forget where I got it from. I wonder if it was a gift. It might have been a gift from somebody. I don't remember. I had this gigantic coffee table size ILM book, and it was the history of ILM. Basically, they they put out a second one, and I mean, you know, afterwards. But the main book had all the profiles of the ILM artists. And I brought that book with me, and I was able to get signatures, autographs of the ILM people that were doing the panels. So I would turn to a certain page, find their photo and their their biography, you know, their little bio, and I would have them sign that for me. So that was kind of cool. I was able to do that. Now. Luckily for us, those who were there and those who might be interested in the event itself and trying to kind of see what it was like, if you go out to YouTube and you do a search for 1987 George Lucas Q&A at Star Wars Celebration Zero, Star Wars Convention, you will get about an hour and 41 minute video recording of most, if not all, of that particular event. This was recorded by a young man at the time, pretty much about my age, I imagine, who was there at the convention. He had his own video camera, which, I mean, back then, that was impressive to see somebody with a, a video recorder. And he runs a podcast website, YouTube channel uh, called Skywalking Through Neverland. I think his name is Richard. And interestingly enough, I've had at least one interaction with Richard a while back when he was, I guess, researching 
doing a show on this particular celebration or, or pre-celebration convention. He calls it Celebration Zero. He had an article posted, I believe, on StarWars.com, and he did uh, either a one- or a two-part episode on his own podcast about his experience there. And he had contacted me at the time about using some of the pictures that I have on my Facebook page, my Star Wars, uh, you know, uh, Star Lux Salutes, uh, Star Wars 10th Anniversary page. I'll tell you about it a little later, which I was able to, yeah, I told him, yeah, to take whatever you want. They're all there. They're all the pictures I was able to find. So uh, we do have an unusual connection in that manner. But if you go to that particular video, you can experience the whole thing and how it was. Now, keep in mind, this is 1987. Video quality is very old. <laughs> it was, you know, it's home videos. It's not, uh, you know, it's not 4K or any kind of K. It's it's VHS. <laughs> so it's it's a little uh, it's a little difficult to hear or see sometimes. But it's like a snapshot of history, as far as I'm concerned. It's it's amazing that it's all there, and. That presentation basically starts off with Kerry O'Quinn, who's the publisher of Starlog. He was the he was like the the face of Starlog, if you will, more or less. And he's out there to introduce uh, you know the festivities. He's the host, and he brings out Rick Overton, who's a comedian. Who at the time he had just worked or was working on Willow. Not sure what he what he does these days. I don't even know if he's around anymore. But he did like a twenty minute stand up skit try to put as much, you know, sci-fi horror fantasy into it as possible, you know, because of the crowd, obviously. He was great. He's he's still pretty funny if you watch it. Then you had this moment where Kerry O'Quinn is reading, like, these telegrams, these messages that people were sending that couldn't make it. You know, your Carrie Fishers, your your Mark Hamill's, you know, all the, the bigwigs of, of the time. Again, you got to remember, he's got that Starlog connection, so he's got major major players who at least were able to send a message or something so he do, he goes through that and then the show kind of begins and the show is these this you know rehearsed staged kind of a comedy skit-ish kind of thing where c3po and r2d2 come out and they're talking about you know that this is the anniversary and they're here to celebrate and blah 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 and they're part they're part of the introductory thing anthony daniels is Underneath the C-3PO outfit, the R2-D2 is a, a remote control R2-D2. These are all Lucasfilm props. You know, the, these these are straight out of Lucasfilm. Then you have Darth Vader comes out. And he does also this little skit of all these things that he's talking about and yada, yada, yada. The voice is actually James Earl Jones. This was pre-recorded, you know, for this presentation. I'm not sure who was playing the uh, the physical body of Darth Vader at this time, at this event. Then you have the introduction of George Lucas. And George Lucas comes out, and he's out there for like, I would say about 40 minutes or a little more, a little less, something like that. And it's basically a, um, a Q&A, because he really, I mean, if you know Lucas's personality, the guy is pretty shy, pretty quiet, not very, you know, get the party started kind of guy. And uh, it turns into just a big Q&A. And at one point, even Carrie O'Quinn comes out to kind of help him out with the Q&A. This way, he's not the only one out there, you know, fielding the questions. So, obviously, there's multiple times where he's asked about, will there be more Star Wars movies? Because that's the thing everybody really wants to know at the point. And he's kind of saying publicly that, yeah, he's he's probably going to do a couple more. And he's probably thinking about some prequels and some sequels and that sort of thing. But he doesn't have any kind of time range at the time. And... Theoretically, you could say that that was maybe the first time that it was publicly said in that way. We had known beforehand, through different sources and through different means, that there were plans initially. And those plans seem to fluctuate depending on when you ask that question. I remember there was a Mark Hamill interview in the 80s talking about how he was told by Lucas about these prequels and these sequels and this and that and the other, how he would be the proper age by the time he gets around doing them and all that kind of stuff. There were promotional videos from Kenner talking about, and then when we unleash the next nine sequels or the next six sequels and blah, blah, blah. So again, the number kept fluctuating, but theoretically you could consider this the first time that Lucas is considering, or at least making it publicly known, at least at that time, that, 
yeah, he probably wants to get back into the game. You got to remember when Jedi was out back in 83, I think that's around the time of his divorce. And that's the time where he decided he was going to take a break from all Star Wars and kind of calm down, raise his kids and see what comes next. So it would seem as if four years later, he's kind of thinking about it. Now, like I mentioned earlier, he wouldn't really seriously dip his toes into the Star Wars waters until the early 90s when Jurassic Park comes out and he's like, oh, wait a minute, this might be the right time to start even seriously considering, you know, getting in the game. So this is 1987 we're talking about. So it will be at least another 10 years, uh, a little less than 10 years before he He's really gearing up to do something for real. He talks about how at least the first three movies are in his head. He kind of knows how they're going to function. At the time, he d- doesn't know exactly how the sequels <laughs> would, in what direction those would go. But at least the prequels, they seem to be kind of in his head already. He talks about how he's working on a third Indiana Jones film, which I guess at the time... It was kind of unofficial at that point. It hadn't been fully, fully announced yet. And uh, somebody asks him also about Disney, about doing... Because at that that particular time, Star Tours was already... uh, Had premiered at Disneyland, but it wasn't at Disney World yet. And they asked him about doing more Disney work. And he says, yeah, it would be interesting to do more projects with Disney or maybe an Indiana Jones ride or something like that. Again, very ironic, given the fact that now Disney owns Lucasfilm. You know, that was uh, 40 years ago. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) It's insane. So after the Q&A, Jerry O'Quinn comes out again and starts to introduce a few people that are here to wish... Star Wars uh, happy birthday uh, and, and George obviously so first up is Charles Lippincott again I mentioned this before at the time I had no clue who he was uh, they did introduce him as the you know the VP of marketing and you know licensing and all that kind of stuff you know when he worked at Lucasfilm obviously he comes out says like two three words that's it again at the time I had no clue who he was and I wasn't really that interested to tell you the truth because I was like who's that but over the last number of years it's strange how i got to know lippincott through facebook out of all things and we interacted and and as i mentioned in previous episodes he helped me out with some stuff so it's just so weird that i had ran into him but not knowing who he was at the time how we had that connection that never came to me you know never even thought of it then they brought up Sid Gaines, who, he was a former VP of Lucasfilm at one point. He comes out, says a couple words, too. Irving Kirshner comes out, director of Empire. Again, says a couple words, wishes a happy birthday. Gary Kurtz comes out, same deal. And, and it's very ironic because some of these people technically are, like, for example, Lippincott at that time, I don't know if he was really talking to Lucas anymore. So it's kind of weird that they brought him out. And Kurtz, if you guys remember the history of Star Wars, he had just like Lippincott, kind of like diverged from Lucasfilm. They kind of had a falling out. But he did come back for this 10th anniversary special, you know, event. Very gracious and stuff. Like I said, said a couple of nice things about George. And then the surprise guest that nobody expected was Gene Roddenberry. Gene Roddenberry comes out, says a couple of nice things about Star Wars, shakes George's hand, and that is the very iconic picture uh, that I use on my that Facebook uh, page that I run. And it's a picture that's been through the internet all over the place. He's finding it all over the place. Uh, Dan Matson, who at the time had just started running the Lucasfilm fan club, because what happened was that the Star Wars fan club had kind of folded back when they used to do the uh, Bantha tracks and that kind of thing. And they kind of revamped it and reformed it into the Lucasfilm fan club because, as I mentioned earlier... Star Wars was kind of dying down, but there were a lot of other properties that Lucasfilm was handling, so they kind of figured, all right, well, to keep the fan base going, let's rebrand ourselves so that it includes just about anything that Lucasfilm is handling. And that was Dan's uh, job at the time. For many, many years, he ran the fan club. He was, remember we talked about Craig Miller as being the original one? Well, Dan Matson around this time, you know, takes over that responsibility. And he is credited with the person who takes that picture, that famous picture of Lucas shaking 
Gene Roddenberry's hand. And in the background, you can see Lippincott in between the two in the backgrounds, which is really, again, it's it's so weird uh, that, like, these people that are so important in... <laughs> in my life at different points and different times were all there and I was there too and it's like it's just weird that that as a young person I was in that room so when they're done wishing Star Wars a happy birthday they bring out a cake and champagne Darth Vader the guy who's playing Darth Vader once again walks out with a cake he's holding a cake Adam Malin from Creation Conventions he's a face that looks very familiar to me that I would see him in many other conventions later he comes out and he serves the champagne, you know, puts it in the glass, gives it to George. And R2-D2 comes forward and beeps, you know, beeps and sounds, happy birthday. And everybody sings happy birthday, too. Then we have Norman Jacobson, who's another, at the time, big wig of Starlog magazine. He might have been another publisher or editor or something. I forget. I, f- I get those titles mixed up. Uh, comes out and uh, helps uh, Carrie O'Quinn unveil the birthday card that I also mentioned earlier. This is the birthday card that everybody signed at different times during the previous two days of the convention. During the earlier hours of the convention, uh, people were signing that card and it was officially presented. It's unveiled. And again, that's one of those pictures that I have there. It's given to George as a present. And that card is going to end up living at Lucasfilm for a long time. It will it will come out at certain events, apparently. They wrote it out to some of the other celebrations. And I think, as I mentioned before, I believe it now resides at Ranch Obi-Wan. I could be wrong. I'm not entirely sure. At that point, uh, George you know, says thank you to everybody and goodbye, and then they kind of wrap things up. Uh, so, yeah, if anybody's interested, that video is there. You guys can watch it. There's also another uh, YouTube video you might be interested in, also from Skywalking at Neverland on YouTube, which is uh, episode 299, Dan Matson and Celebration Zero commentary. And basically what they did here is they took an abbreviated version of that long video and did a commentary between Dan Matson and the hosts of Skywalking Through Neverland to kind of get everybody in the participating to kind of recall what they remember from those events and that sort of thing. So that was kind of neat. And I was able to, to finally listen to that because I hadn't, that's one that I had that completely had not had a chance to listen to. Uh, really, really crazy for me specifically watching that video. The video itself, before the actual events of the presentation, you get a, a lot of shots of people in line waiting to get in, people getting into their seats, that sort of thing. I do remember also something during the beginning of the presentation where there's a whole bunch of stormtroopers walking in with maybe the Vader behind them or something like that, kind of making an entrance or something. I don't remember that in the video, but I do kind of remember something like that uh, from the event. The other thing is that at the end of the video, as everybody leaves, the, the camera, again, Richard, the camera operator, he's kind of panning the camera uh, left all the way around in a big circle to get some of the crowd. And in an insane moment, which I, I again, I don't know how, how, but if I go to the one hour, 39 minute, 44 second mark of that video, it does have a shot of me in the audience, just sticking my head up. <laughs> That's 17 year old me. I can guarantee you probably won't see it. You got to stop at the right second. <laughs> and uh, there's a very small head right in the middle with a little tiny mustache. And it looks better if it's playing. It looks a little sharper when it's playing. When you freeze it at that moment, it looks a little, it gets a little blurrier. It's harder to see. But after I watched it like 10 or 15 times, and then I showed it to my wife, and I'm like, that guy right there, that guy right there, that guy right there. She's like, yep, that's it, that's you. So it's bizarre how not only do I have my writing on the card in a book that reproduced that card, but now I have my face on a video that somebody took a bazillion years ago. (laughs) So it's just so unusual it is just so bizarrely unusual tell you the truth that i just cannot make heads of tales of the nostalgia and the the feelings that that you know you get from reliving something like this and thinking about it and it's it's just crazy it's just absolutely insane a couple of notes uh, i would like to make also is that 
I used to keep a diary for about 10 years, I think I kept a diary, maybe 10, 15 years, something like that. And um, I started my diary in 1984, I believe. But I actually, I was able to find a 1987 diary that chronicled the trip. Now, unfortunately, I'm not a writer. So there were a lot of times on my diaries where it would be like, today I did this, this, and that. Today I did that, didn't this, you know. However, sometimes it would be like, today I saw this movie. It was great. It was about the blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I would write a little more. But for, the, for this trip, they're very brief, short, and I could probably imagine why. I was probably so tired and so crazy about what was happening that I just didn't even want to spend the time writing. I just want to go do stuff. But it does confirm that the first couple of days of the convention, we were there just for the convention. I think we arrived on a Friday. Convention was Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Well, let me read some of these entries that I found. Friday, May 22nd. Today we're in LA. The plane trip was tight. I don't know if that's what I meant. The hotel is great. We're going to start going places tomorrow. Saturday, May 23rd. Today I got a couple of autographs. I can't believe that at night I finally saw George Lucas and some other people. He's just like on TV. (laughs) May 24th. Sunday, May 24th. Today I just got some autographs. Monday, May 25th. Today I got with ILM person, not sure what that means, and Jerry O'Quinn closed the ceremonies with costumes and contests. The comedian Rick Overton was pretty good. That's right. Uh, Rick Overton came back for, for the Monday closing ceremonies, more or less. Tuesday, May 26th. Today we went to Paramount Studios and we saw the Star Trek set. Then went to Universal Studios. It was also great. I'm tired. Okay, so let me explain that. Earlier on, I I told you guys that my mom had arranged for some tours to happen through some of her contacts. And I mentioned before that one of her contacts that led to the last person was Nick Sagan, which Nick Sagan ended up writing a couple of Star Trek episodes. He's the son of Carl Sagan. But what's crazy is that Nick Sagan at that time, at that time, at any time, he's my age. So I'm not sure exactly how a 17-year-old Nick Sagan is was connected, I guess, through just the fact of his name, because in a couple of years, he's also writing a Star Trek episode. So that's how crazy these connections are. But the connection that jumps from Nick Sagan to a woman named Diane Overdyke, and I believe she was some kind of a production coordinator or something like that, because her name appears on the Next Generation credit roll. She was the one that directly got us access to it. Now, here's where it gets a little crazier. The person that gave us the tour at the time, I believe, was Michael Okuda. Michael Okuda's still around. He's a graphic designer. He's a, he does, he's been doing Star Trek forever. He's worked on so many other projects. Denise and Michael Okuda, they're a team. But I believe it was Michael Okuda who actually got us the tour. And again, I might have mentioned it a couple times before. This is right before Star Trek next generation started all the sets were done people were doing rehearsals i believe at the time will wheaton was at the cafeteria having lunch while we were having lunch we got to visit some of the sets including the uh the medical sick bay i think we saw the uh the engine room we saw uh the what's called planet hell what was called planet hell which was the generic planet where they try to do all of the you know, outdoorsy, you know, spacey kind of things. We, and I believe we even might have seen the bridge a little bit too. So that was just a crazy, crazy time in terms of, I've never experienced anything like that again. It was a a super fast exposure to like, holy crap, this is like the meat and potatoes of it all. And that was that, that, that Tuesday. Wednesday, May 27th. Today we went to some shopping malls. I bought some souvenirs from my friends okay wednesday was a pretty quiet day thursday today i went to introvision and then to boss films where i again saw richard edlin those places are great introvision was a special effects place that did movies like um the fugitive they had a at the time a system of front and rear projection at the same time which was i guess it was a patent different kind of way of doing special effects and i remember 
that that was one of the places that I mentioned earlier too that I was able to write a, a letter you know for advice on how to go about getting into special effects and the the advice they gave us was you know you got to move to Los Angeles you have to get an internship you know in some of these places you got to go to one of these colleges USC or UCLA you know the big film colleges and at the time that I still have that letter somewhere and it was like wow that that to me was like holy crap this is what I got to do but didn't exactly work out that way. Uh, we also went to Boss Films, which was the Richard Edlin place. I had seen Richard Edlin during the convention. He, he signed my book because he was doing some of the Star Wars panels uh, Well, back when he was working on ILM. Boss Films was his company that he branched off of Star Wars. They had done um, Fright Night and Ghostbusters, and we took a tour when we saw him. I met him again a second time, and it was it was great. It was just It was just basically incredible you know that that entire week the following day friday the 29th we actually drove to san diego uh, to visit a relative and then by saturday the following day we were already back in new york so yeah that was that was a, a again a, a pretty crazy trip that we took i don't know how many years ago it was i think i was already in florida so it must have been at least five years ago when you know, I started thinking about that trip again. And, you know, every now and then you kind of think about these things. And, you know, with Facebook and everything, I decided, hey, I'm going to create a page. Because through a post that I believe Charles Lippincott had posted, the conversation kind of started having to do with that picture. And the fact that Lippincott is in that picture of, of Roddenberry shaking Lucas's hand. Through that post, I started chatting with some other people, some of them that are still kind of Facebook friends to this day, that, yeah, we were, you know, I was there, and I was there, and you were there, and I have pictures, you have pictures. I said, you know what? I'm going to start a page just to put all the many pictures as we can, or, or anything, any memorabilia, anything having to do with that event. Because at that time, it was so difficult, and it's still now very difficult to get pictures. Back then, uh, obviously, no digital. There was no digital. So, you know, I was taking pictures with a little Kodak, you know, cassette kind of, film junkie old camera uh, unless you had professional equipment you weren't really gonna get any nice pictures but some of them are out there like the ones Dan Madsen took and some other people uh, so are out there so that whole convention you know to me is kind of like a celebration obviously back then it wasn't called celebration so I usually refer to it as the 10th anniversary Star Wars convention you know Starlog and Creation were both involved uh, it spawned off later some other Starlog salutes Star Wars in, in other cities in the United States, including New York. And I went to a couple of those. Obviously, they didn't have the the roster that they did, uh, you know, for, for this one. That was the main big one. But that peaked and, and started my convention going. You know, from there, it then jumped to those those Thanksgiving weekends, those famous uh, Starlog Thanksgiving weekend conventions, uh, Creation Presents, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's when you got more horror people and Star Trek people and, you know, everything, not just Star Wars. So this is the one that, as far as I'm concerned, started it all for me and for a lot of people and for the, even the idea of, of celebration. So I hope you guys enjoyed this information. I strongly urge you that if you are interested in, in this, and if you were there, go to my Facebook page. It's called Star Wars 10th Anniversary Convention Tribute. You'll find it. Uh, go to Skywalking Through Neverland. You'll get all kinds of information through his blog and his podcast of his particular experience. And I'm, I'm pretty uh, happy that I got to kind of relive this again and, and re-research it. I always keep researching it. I always look for pictures every now and then. Any little scrap that comes up somewhere of information, you know, the schedule, you know, t-shirts, anything having to do with that convention. And I'd also like to thank Shamim Dana that I've interviewed a couple months ago because this was one of the things that he was asking me about what I remember from this convention. And it kind of got the ball rolling again. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, all these things for kind of reminding me about that whole thing. And finally, after all this time, being able to put it on a podcast episode, this way it kind of lives there in case anybody's looking for more information about it. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We tried to chronicle as much as possible that 
trip back in 1987 to the uh, Star Wars 10th anniversary convention. A lot of things were on my agenda during that convention, as you could probably see the, the, the other stops that I made along the way. All the things that kind of sprung up from this convention, including the Facebook page that you can go and, and take a look at some of the pictures and memorabilia and all the kind of stuff I've been able to to kind of gather photographically, you know, over these last uh, number of years. But primarily the convention itself. Uh, once again, I recommend you guys go on YouTube and find some of those uh, Skywalking in Neverland videos that, that could show you exactly what it was like. And it is a piece of Star Wars history. You know, nowadays, like I said, we do have the celebrations, the official celebrations, but back then, it was kind of like an experiment, if you will. Starlog and Creation kind of ran with it afterwards. In their way, Lucasfilm kind of stepped away a little bit, you know, for a while, until the return of all the films. Once they were getting ready to come back, you know, with, with the prequels, that's also the time where they stepped into the official celebration uh, model of Star Wars conventions. But this was a weird little experiment that as far as I'm concerned, worked, and it fills at least me, and I'm sure a lot of people who were there, with very, very fond memories of that particular time. So on behalf of everyone here, thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away... Star Wars. Coming in too fast! An adventure unlike anything on your planet. It's an epic of heroes and villains and aliens from a thousand worlds. Star Wars rated PG. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com, or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2021. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots radio network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long.